0: We're in chapter 20 today, and we're going to be looking at chapters 21 and 22 in a couple of weeks' time after Easter. I don't know whether you've noticed, if you read through Revelation, uh, it's, a, it's a movement. There is a, there's a story all the way through, and it is moving through to the end. Uh, we start off in the beginning where uh, God speaks to the churches that are there, and He speaks to them and explains to them what He thinks about them, pretty much. Uh, there's some good and there's some bad amongst that. Uh, and within that, uh, God speaks to them, and He's speaking to a people who are in the middle of persecution. They're about to get hammered. Uh, Some of them are already getting hammered and they're going to get even more hammered after this. And uh, part of Revelation is trying to say to those people that God is revealing to them to hang in there and stand still and stand firm for God. You'll see that there's a common refrain throughout Revelation uh, to patiently and faithfully persevere and to carry on with the testimony of Jesus. Uh, That's what he keeps trying. He keeps coming back to that all the way through And through all the visions and all the stuff that's going on, he keeps coming back to that. And he keeps trying to encourage the people. In the middle of this amazing stuff that's going on, you're about to get persecuted. The world looks chaotic. The world looks out of control. God's got it sorted. Jesus is the king. Jesus has won the victory on the cross. And Jesus is coming back. So faithfully and patiently persevere to the end. Keep on testifying to Jesus. That's the message of Revelation all the way through. And within that we see that uh, there's all these things going on, all this stuff happening, some good and some bad, and almost like there's this big build-up to what's about to happen at the end, and it's working towards when Jesus returns. And within that we see a whole lot of things going together. And one of the things we see that evil and Satan has had some stuff going on, and he's causing havoc. Uh, As we get to the ends of Revelation, we start to see that he's going to be nailed. Uh, in chapters 17 to 19, we see that the beast and uh, the false prophet, they get nailed. In chapter 20, we see that Satan gets nailed. And then we're going to see what's great that's going to come after that. So that's where we are. And we're about to hit chapter 20, which is probably almost the most controversial chapter in the whole of the Bible. Uh, there's probably more written on chapter 20 than there is just about anything else that's ever been written on just about every other passage. Uh, and so we're going to look at it today. I'm going to hopefully make our way through chapter 20, because I actually think the controversial bit of chapter 20 isn't the important part. I actually think the end of chapter 20 is the really important part. And we really need to understand that. Uh, because chapter the first part of chapter 20 is really leading to the end of chapter 20. Uh, so uh, we're going to read that together. We're going to do it in little sections today, so I'm going to read uh, part to you. We'll try and explain that for you. And then we'll read it in three sections we're going to be looking at. We're going to be breaking it up into three sections. Uh, today. So the first thing we're going to read is from uh, Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 6. You'll see it on the screen, but if you've got a Bible, it'd be great if you open it up and follow with me. Uh, before we do that, I'm going to pray, uh, because I think we need prayer to be able to get ourselves through this this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us uh, clearly within it, Lord. We pray that even uh, amongst uh, visions and symbolism and uh, things, Lord, that sometimes we find hard to understand You speak to us through this, and Father, we pray this morning as we look at Revelation chapter 20, that Lord, you'll speak to us through it, that Lord, we'll see clearly your message to us, and Lord, we'll go away from here, people who are changed and transformed because of it, Lord, Uh, people who are going to stand patiently, faithfully, testifying to you, Lord, in the world around us. We pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, let's have a look at chapter 20, will we? Uh, let's have a look at the first uh, six verses. It says this, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones in which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. and Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Uh, If you've never read the Bible before uh, and you've never seen Revelation, you're probably thinking, what on earth is going on there? Uh, Well, remember, we're working towards this. Uh, We're working to see what's happening here. And basically what we're seeing is the end of Satan. That's what we're going to be seeing today. He's going to be defeated and cast out and destroyed at the end of this chapter. But the big thing that people really get caught up with in this chapter is that word 1,000. The 1,000 seems to be the thing that everyone spends a whole lot of time trying to work out and suss out and put it all together. And there's been a whole lot written about it and a whole lot of people hold a whole lot of different views on it. So can I say to you this morning, I'm going to try and pull that apart a little bit. I'm going to try and show you the three main views uh, of what they understand the 1,000 is and how it comes from Scripture here. And then I'm going to tell you which one I think is the case. But what I'm going to say to you is you need to work it out yourself to a degree. Uh, But I'm going to say to you at the end of it, uh, what is the most important part of the end of it is how we live now in light of it and how we understand the last part of it because the last part of Chapter 20 really brings home what it's all about. So let's go for it, eh? Let's have a look at it together. Let's see how we can put it. Uh, You may have heard of it. It's called millennialism, uh, is what people call the different things. And there are three different positions on millennialism. There's premillennialism, postmillennialism and amillennialism. You don't want to say that too quickly, do you? Otherwise you get very tongue-tied. Uh, so I'm going to look at those three very briefly. Uh, this week in our studies, in our growth groups, we'll look at them a little bit more and I'm going to send out some information to you as well. So what I try and give you this morning is only a snippet in one sense. It'll be a picture of it and you can read some more stuff about it during the week and in your growth groups have a bit more of a discussion. Uh, so the first one I'm going to look at uh, is called premillennialism. Uh, So that will come up on the screen for us. Excellent. Uh, So what premillennialists do is they take the thousand years to be a literal thousand years. Uh, That Jesus returns to earth. uh, He casts the beast and the false prophet into a fiery lake. He binds Satan for a thousand years. And uh, in those thousand years, those that have been dead in Christ come and reign on the earth with Jesus for a thousand years. And at the end of the millennium, then Satan is released for a short period of time to cause havoc, and then Jesus concludes history. Uh, this is pretty much a literal reading of Revelation chapter 20, and this is really popular in America. Okay? You may have heard of a term called dispensationalism. Uh, well, premillennialists and dispensationalists are in the same category. That's how they operate, that's how they see the Bible. If you've ever read a Ryrie Bible or a Schofield Bible... And you read the notes underneath, you would have been taking in this position and this view wherever you were. Okay? Uh, this is probably in parts of America, this is probably the most dominant view in regards to how you read this passage. But when you go outside of America, it's probably not the most dominant view of how we read this passage. So let's just say you can be in a bit of a picture there. Uh, the strength of this, taking it this way, is it takes the seriousness of Jesus and the seriousness of Jesus returning and the seriousness that we have behind that. There's an immediacy there, isn't it? There? There's an urgency within that. There's a sense that we need to understand what's going on. But the negative to it is that it doesn't take the thousand years as a symbol, uh, when just about every other word that you read here is all symbolic, and just about all the rest of Revelation is symbolic. So the words such as chains and lakes and even dragon and serpent and all those things are all symbolic language, and then suddenly you throw in, and I'm going to go literal on this number. Uh, and it's the same when you look through the rest of Revelation, that we look at all the other numbers in Revelation, they're all symbolic of what something is. The uh, 144,000, it's the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles, it's the whole number, times a 1,000, a multitude, it's the big, it's all the people of God gathered together. Uh, three and a half years, a short period of time. Seven, perfection. Six, one less than. It's all symbolic, and so then why do we suddenly take a 1,000 to be literal? That's the negative of it. Uh, It can be taken to an extreme too. There's a thing position called Chileism, uh, which actually says, well, we're going to take that even further, and we're going to actually nut that right down, and we're going to work really hard at trying to work out all the numbers, and we're going to spend all our time trying to work out the numbers and work out the exact dates, the exact times, and exactly how everything's going to work out. Uh, To the point where it almost becomes so exciting to try and work out the numbers that we actually don't get on to do what Jesus tells us to do, which is faithfully persevere, patiently, and tell people about Jesus. So that's one of them. Uh, Can I say, I don't hold to that position. And I don't think this uh, passage holds to that position, but there are lots of people who do. Okay, Uh, I've got a book at home that's got uh, those three positions and... Scholars from all around the world who argue each of those positions and then argue against each other on those positions, and one commentary that I look, uh, that I think is a great commentary by a guy called Bock on Luke, holds to this position. So there's some guys, there's people out there who hold to this position very strongly. So you need to think about it, I suppose, is what I'm saying to you. Uh, but I don't. So I'll tell you what one I hold to in just a moment. Uh, the next one is post-millennialism. So pre-millennialism basically. Jesus returned, there is a thousand years of time when he reigns on earth, Satan comes back for a short period, then the end. Uh, Post-millennialism is uh, a position where there's a thousand years where things slowly get better and better and better and better and then Jesus returns. So he comes after the thousand years. Now this is really popular with the reformers back when Martin Luther and those guys were around uh, because they had this real sense that the world was going to get better that things were starting to, to look better. And to agree, things were looking better because they'd just come out of the Dark Ages. Uh, the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages, the Reformation, Enlightenment, all that sort of stuff was about to hit. Uh, and so there was the you know the, the Gutenberg press was coming out. People were starting to get Bibles in their hands. It was starting to look like Christianity was going to take off again. And so they thought, thought that this was the time frame. This is a 1,000 years, and then Jesus is going to return. The problem with that is the world hasn't really got better, has it? <laughs> Uh, this last century has really knocked that one really hard because two world wars, Afghanistan, Iraq, Cambodia, Rwanda, genocides everywhere, and the spread of the gospel hasn't been as amazing as what they thought it was going to be back then. I'm not saying that it hasn't spread, but it hasn't gone as far. Uh, so that's the problem with post-millennialism. Uh, we can't, it doesn't really fit with what it looks like. So, pre-millennialism, Jesus comes, 1,000 years, then he returns, then he folds up history. Post-millennialism, things get better, and then Jesus returns, that's the end of history. The next one is amillennialism, or inaugurated millennialism, try that again, millennialism, which is probably actually a better term than amillennialism. Can I say before I even get to this one, because this is the position that I hold, um, can I say that One of the things we need to be really careful of when we look at this and before we actually stand and nail ourselves and say I'm going to hold this and if you don't believe what I believe then you're in trouble is that this is the only place in the Bible that we hear about it. It's the only place that we actually hear about a thousand years that it all comes together in regards to when Jesus returns. It's the only time we hear that it's there. Uh, And I think a great thing that we need to be careful of is when we only see it once in the Bible, we need to be careful we don't make it the standard. We need to interpret it against the rest of the Bible. The only other time you hear about a thousand years is back in the Old Testament when God says a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day, or a thousand years is a long period, or thousand. we only hear about it there, but this is the only place that we hear about it in regards to the end of time. So we need to be careful that we don't end up hanging everything on Revelation 20. Can I encourage you with that? One of the great things we need to remember is that we major on what the Bible majors on and we minor on what the Bible minors on. We don't try and make God say more than He says or less than He says as well. Uh, so before I hit on one which I think i's true, I think is true and I hold to amillennialism, I need to put that out there and remind us of that. Okay? So amillennialism, inaugurated uh, millennialism. What that says is that basically we live in the thousand years now. That a thousand years is symbolic, a thousand years is a long period of time and a thousand years is a period between when Jesus rose from the dead to when Jesus comes back again. That's that period and we live in that period now. We live in the period of revelation now really. All the things that we've been talking about, that's the time frame that we live in. And then Jesus returns and that's it. Game over. Game over. No more. Now, within that, some people have uh, thoughts about when does Satan come back for a little period of time and cause more havoc than what he is. And that's possible because that's what the the Scripture says here, doesn't it? Uh, But we're unsure on how that's going to work out. Uh, So, uh, amillennialism is what I said, uh, is those things there. Uh, And what it's saying is, from the passage, you see, it's hard to sort of, if you start making it literal, then you're going to make everything literal. So, it's not saying that. We're saying it's symbolic. So, the thousand years is a symbolic period of time and what we're saying is the first resurrection he talks about down in verses uh, 5 and 6, is the first resurrection is Jesus' resurrection. Where's the first time we hear about resurrection in the Bible? It's Jesus. So the first resurrection is Jesus and the second death is when we face judgment. So we die here, but the second death is when we face judgment we're either going to be with God or we're not going to be with Him. That's the second death. So the period that we've got in between is that thousand years that goes there. Um... So we now live in that period, in that time frame. Now I'm going to give you five reasons why I think that's the case. Now there's a whole lot more than this, but I'll give you five briefly and you can spend a bit of time thinking about that yourselves. Uh, And the first one is the immediate context of the passage that we're in. Whenever you interpret the Bible, you need to do a number of things. The determining factor on what it's saying to you is context, context, context. Okay? Context of where it is in the passage that it is. Context where it is in the book that it is. Context where it fits in the whole of the Bible together. And you need to do those three. If you don't do those three, you're more than likely going to interpret the passage wrongly because it fits all together because the Bible is God's story. It is God's story of His salvation and it fits together. And it doesn't contradict each other. It works together. So if we need to do context to work it out. So the very first thing is the immediate context says that this has got to be a symbolic number because all the other terminology in this passage is symbolic. Chains, serpent, dragons, fiery lake. You'll get a little bit later. The books are open. They're symbolic of what is going to happen. And so to make a thousand not symbolic in this passage takes it out of the context of its passage itself. So that's why we think that that's the case here. Uh, Secondly is the context of Revelation. The whole of Revelation really is a whole lot of symbolism, isn't it? As I said before, the 144,000, the 1,000, the 3.5, the 7, the 6, all those numbers, the 10, the, all, those, all those numbers are all symbolic of what's going on, the different beasts, the different things that are happening, are symbolic of stuff that's happening around. So to suddenly then make a 1,000 literal takes it out of the context of Revelation. And it's also in Revelation, the whole rest of Revelation basically says we're going to have all these things and then bang, the end. So all the visions before, the seven seals, one, two, three, four, five, six. There's not a time frame, bang, the seventh. The seven bowls, one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh, bang. Seven trumpets, one, two, three, four, five, six, bang. There's no time gap between them. So why do we suddenly have a time gap here? What does that work? seems out of context, doesn't it, of, the Bible, of, of Revelation? And then when you look at the context of the New Testament or the whole of the Bible... We don't see anywhere else in the Bible that there is a gap between between Jesus coming and when Judgment Day. Everywhere else in the whole of the Bible is Jesus returns and that's it. Game over. Jesus says that. Look at Matthew 24. Look at Luke 12. Look at Luke 20, John 21. Look through and have a look. Look up all the passages where Jesus talks about when he's going to return. There is no time gap after he returns for something else to happen. It comes through and bang, that is it. context of the New Testament tells us that it's got to be one, the resurrection, and then the judgment. So how do we understand the bit in between? He's talking about, well, they've got to be symbolic of the time frame that we're in. What are the day, the first re- re- resurrection, the second dead? When are we kings and priests? He says there were high priests. says in verse 6, God, the Christ, uh, the second death has been, and there will, be, but there will be priests of God, and Christ will reign with him. Have a look at Revelation 1.6. John says to us that when we put our trust in Jesus, we are priests of God. We are kings with Him. We are heirs and co-heirs with Him. Romans 8 says that we are heirs and co-heirs with Christ when we put our trust in Him. And so what they say is when we talk about reigning with Him, it's a symbolic, it's a spiritual reigning with Him, that when we die, when we pass from this earth, out of this body, sense, we actually reign with Jesus, spiritually with Him now. Well, not now, because I'm not dead, but when we're dead... We reign with him spiritually. So, the internal context of the passage itself says it's got to be symbolic. The context of Revelation says that it's got to be symbolic. The context of the New Testament says that uh, Jesus, Jesus rises from, from the dead, the time between now and then and his judgment, bang, it's finished. The whole of the Old Testament never speaks of how this operates, the, the literal view of Revelation 20 only ever speaks in uh, numbers about thousands so forth as being symbolic of a long period of time. So I think when you put those together, because when you've got one passage that says the only time you hear it, you've got to interpret it against the rest of Scripture. I think the rest of Scripture points to the fact that when Jesus died and rose again, we're in a period before he returns again, and that is it. That period that we're in now is the period of a 1,000 years And things are going to go rough and tough. It's going to be difficult for us. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be stuff that's going on. We know that. We feel that. We experience that. But we are to stay faithfully, persevering, patiently testifying to Jesus all the way through. And I think it makes sense to the rest of the Bible when you put it together. They're my five reasons. Uh, As I said, you have to think about that, put it together, work it out. But the answer that we're going to come to at the end of all this is what does it mean for you and me here and now? Whatever position we have on this, what does it mean for us here and now? You see, because Jesus could wind up history at any point in time. He can do it when he decides, that's it, bang, done, all over. He can make it, but he hasn't yet. So what are we to do now? What are we to be on about now? What is most important for you and I to be doing now? Well, Jesus tells us it's not about counting days. It's not about working out numbers. It's not about trying to know the day. He says it's about testifying to me. What's the whole of Revelation about? It's about testifying to Jesus that he is the king, he has conquered and he is coming back. And there's got to be urgency in that and immediacy in that. And that's got to drive us to testify to Jesus even more. No one's going to come to know Jesus if we can just tell them all the times and dates of things that work out. People come to know Jesus and trust in Jesus when we tell them about what he's done on the cross for them. That he's risen from the dead. And that when we put our trust in him, he, they're going to have eternal life. There is perfection ahead. That's what it means to testify to Jesus, doesn't it? That we speak it, that we live it, that we show it, that we're out there in the community encouraging people to come to know Jesus. Because we don't know the day. And it could happen in the next couple of minutes. It's the immediacy of it, isn't it? That's what I think this passage wants to say to us. We need to be realise the immediacy that it could happen at any moment. But the great thing about this is that Satan's going to be completely, completely, absolutely knocked out. At the moment it talks about him being bound there, doesn't it? It says, well, what does we mean by being bound? Uh, well, Jesus says that, doesn't he? He says in uh, Mark chapter 3, he says that the strong man can come into the room and he binds and he takes away. And so what he's saying is Jesus is stronger than Satan and he's bound him for the moment. He's got him tied up so that he can't go out and confuse the nations, as it says in verse 2. He's not able to confuse the nations as much. Satan doesn't have a complete reign at this point in time. He's still kicking and screaming. You know, like when you see those people in uh, the news when they have their hands bound behind their back when they're uh, captured by police, they still kick and scream, don't they? They still cause a bit of havoc. But they're not going to get away it's the same picture here. He's been bound. He has an opportunity to kick and scream. But he's been beaten. Right? Revelation chapter 12 tells us that he's been conquered at the cross, through his resurrection and by the testimony of his followers. Remember that? He's been beaten. But at the moment he's kicking and screaming, trying not to let go for the moment. But he's going to be completely wiped out at the end. Look at verse 7. Uh, evil defeated. When a thousand years are over, the end of time, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog to gather them for battle. In number they are like the sand of the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But the fire came down from heaven and devoured them, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet have been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is a whole lot of imagery from Ezekiel. So if you want to look at Ezekiel 38, you'll see the picture that he's saying here because that was where the, the prince of Gog uh, from the country of Magog gathered all the people together around God's people to destroy them and God wiped them out uh, to feed them in one go. So he's saying the same picture basically, isn't he? So the people, Gog and Magog, were basically people, anyone against God. They're symbolic of those who are gathered against God. that They'll gather together to try and destroy God but they get defeated. They get wiped out in an unusual way, not at a war. They don't actually have a battle. They're actually wiped out by fire. Uh, we see back earlier, if you go back to chapter 17, there's, uh, Armageddon. We didn't get to preach on that because I was, had my, uh, sick, uh, thing back that day. But you'll see in art, uh, there's a, there's a picture of a, of what seems to be a war happening in Armageddon. But you read it, there actually doesn't ever happen to be a war at the end of Armageddon. It's interesting. Why is it? And if you go to chapter 19, you'll see they'll gather together again to have a big war. But there's not a war again. And then we come here and we see chapter 20 and it looks like there's going to be a war, but there's not a war again. You see, because God defeats them. In chapter 17, God speaks, bang, game over. Chapter 19, Jesus speaks, the sword of his mouth is the word of God, wipes out, speaks, gone. Chapter 20, there's no war, God just brings on and he wipes them out. You see, there's not actually a war that happens because God defeats them with his word, with his son Jesus. He defeats them with him. People have talked about the having the big Armageddon, the big war that's going to happen, and sometimes people talk about it's going to be a gathering of all these things together. It doesn't actually, it's not that at all. It's just the people who gather against God throughout the world will be wiped out by God with his word and as he speaks, and they're gone. There's no war that happens. But the really thing, good about thing about it is that, that Satan is defeated and Satan will not go on from here. He's not just bound now, he's wiped out now completely. Because you know where we're heading? We're heading to chapter 21 and 22, guys. And chapter 21 and 22, there is no evil. It's a beautiful picture. He's been wiped out here and you can have confidence that he will not go on. He will not continue. It will not continue this way. We will not always be, continue to be persecuted. We will not always find it hard to be followers of Jesus, because there's going to come a day when we're going to be in eternity in perfection forever. Revelation 21 and 22 are coming. So he's beaten, he's defeated. Uh, But then this is the passage I think we need to really take uh, heed of this morning. I know I've taken a while to get there, but we need to put in that picture first. Uh, Look at chapter verses 11 through to 15. And I saw a great white throne... And him who was seated on it, earth and sky, fled from his presence. And there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and haze gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now it's a scary passage as well, isn't it? Because the books are open. There's going to be a day when the book's open and everyone stands before God. And if you're in one book, you're in huge trouble. If you're in another book, then you go to eternity. Chapter 21 and chapter 22. Because no evil can go into eternity. Only perfection. And only those in the book of life have been made perfect through Jesus. So they're the only ones that can go on. I used to like a show when I was growing up called This Is Your Life. Hands up if those who can remember that. you have got to be over 30 probably. Um, or maybe 40. Uh, this Is Your Life it was a great show back in the late 90s, wasn't it? I think it was Roger Clemson that was doing it. Uh, then in the 2000s, I think... Uh, Mike Munro took it on, I think even Ray Martin might have had a bit of a go at one point in time. But what they used to do is, uh, for those who don't know, is they'd uh, pick some person, some famous person, they'd uh, go around and then they would walk up to them in the middle of a sporting game or sitting down having dinner at Bondi or wherever they may be, and they'd su- walk up behind them and surprise them and they'd go, this is your life. And they have a book with this is your life written across it and then inside that... They'd have all the things of their life, Well, not everything. It was basically the rose-coloured version, wasn't it, generally? It was all the good things that they'd done, and it was all placed out before them, and then they'd have a show, and you'd watch it, and all come back, and in the end, they'd get given the book of lo- their book of this is your life. Well, in a sense, that's what this picture is here, isn't it? But in this book that's opened is your life. Everything you've done, everything you've said, everything you've thought, not through rose-coloured glasses, but everything every minute detail is recorded there and the really sad part is if that's what's going to get us the next step you and I are in big trouble aren't we because the next step is perfection and none of us are perfect so none of us can get there we're stuck aren't we If that's all there is, if this is your life, if that's the book that we've got and we hand it to God and he opens it up and he looks at it, he's going to close it and say, bad luck, you're out of here. You can't go on because you're not perfect. You can't get there. I'm sorry, you can't make it. I have to be just in what I do. But the good news is there's another book. It's not a secret one. There's two books. It's not like Melbourne Storm. We carry two books, one in the back and one in the front. Uh, It's the second book. It's open, It's there. And this book is the book of God's family. This book is those who've had the testimony of Jesus, who haven't taken the mark, who have the mark of the Holy Spirit on them, who haven't bowed the knee to Satan, who bowed their knee to God, who testified to Jesus, who've given their life to Jesus, who Jesus has placed in that book, who've been covered by him and who've been made perfect in him. That's their book. Uh, I don't know whether you've seen that. We've got our Evans Head Presbyterian Church Directory. Now in that directory is uh, photos of everybody, well, those who were here at the time, uh, everybody who was part of this family here. And we don't give this book out to anyone other than people who are in our family here. And if you've come recently since this has been done, then I've added your name on the back and on the inside. You're there, so you're safe, okay? You don't feel like you're missing out on this family. You've been added in. This is our family. This is the directory of our family, And the only thing you need to be part of that family is that you're here with us. The second book that opens is God's family. And to be part of God's family is to put your trust in Jesus, to have him as your Lord and Saviour, to testify to him. Can I encourage you? I don't know what book you're in. Only you and God know that. But you can be confident, you can have 100% confidence that you are in the book of life if you've put your trust in Jesus. Faithfully, patiently, persevering and testifying to Jesus right to the end. That is what the people in the book of life will do. So I don't know where you are. I pray that you're in the book of life pray that you've given your life to Jesus I'm not sure where you think about post pre, a millennialist uh, John Chapman the guy who many of you might know who was an Anglican uh, bishop or minister down in Sydney uh, came up here and spoke at many N Cs. when I was in a lecture with him and we were going through all this together he says there's post, there's pre there's A and he says but I'm a pan I'm a pan millennialist it's all going to pan out in the end And to a degree that's true, isn't it? It is all going to pan out in the end because God knows how it's going to finish. I encourage you to work hard at understanding where you think that fits. But ultimately, it shouldn't change what we're on about. It shouldn't change what we're on about. Because whatever position we take, we want people to know Jesus. We want people to trust Jesus. We want people to patiently and faithfully Persevere in testifying to Jesus. That's what we desire. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it's sometimes hard for us to get our heads around uh, exactly where our revelation is going. Sometimes we really do have to work hard and sometimes we really do have to think hard. And even then, sometimes, Lord, we don't always agree. Uh, But, Lord, within that, we see and we can have confidence that you have won the victory in Jesus, that Satan will be ultimately completely destroyed and that, Lord, you have the victory and you have eternity, you have a perfection waiting for those that trust in Jesus, for us who have put our trust in you. And, Lord, we want to hold on to that, but we don't want to keep it to ourselves, Lord. We want more and more people to know and trust you, Lord, and to realise that their name, is in the book of life. Help us, encourage us, challenge us to get on about seeing people come to know you, Lord. Help us to be focused on that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.